1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast.
0: Hosted by Elliot Shure Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. Make sure you are auto-downloading and subscribing. And make sure you've got the Odyssey app, because, Kyle, it's playoff time, man. I feel like when we when we started this pod, it was, you know, like, let, like it was fun. It was the whole purpose of this season was the playoffs. And now we're here, man. I know the last few days have probably been weird for you. You probably felt like you were, uh, covering the process once again with all the g leaguers coming up and the uh and the game's not mattering but man we're here we made it it's uh finally time to see if everything we thought about this team is going to be either true or uh devastatingly false
1: well two process wins i might add those are uh you know give the sixers a lot of credit for they brought in lots of backups and g leaguers two-way guys and they ended up putting forth two really professional, hard earned efforts. And, you know, they beat Atlanta on Friday, where Atlanta played their entire starting lineup, <laughs> know, and everybody yeah. available. And I, I tweeted and wrote this in my story, but it's like Ben Simmons making people think the Hawks were a serious <laughs> team. So, among his greatest crimes as a basketball yeah. player. Um, obviously, well, great Jaden Springer game yeah. the other night, all that stuff. But, I am happy to be moving past those games and onto the playoffs. We'll put it that way.
0: I will confess there was a time where I was a big trade Joel for Trey Young guy coming off that playoff series. But you know what? We all mature. We all grow. We all learn the the era of our ways. And yes, them losing, the Hawks losing that game, they're just a non-serious franchise or group of players. I think they actually have talent, like individually, but together they don't work. Um, but, what, I mean, the good thing about those wins was it did put them, I believe, over the Nuggets. So if it, they do make the finals, they will have home court advantage in the finals. So the process Sixers going out, the 2022-2023 uh, G League champions blue coats going out and uh, and getting a big win for the Sixers. But what I wanted to get into to kind of just start this pod off, uh, like I said, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. This is the time where we're going to find out about this team. I just want to talk to you and have a discussion about where we're at with the Sixers, but also do they have to get out of the second round? Like, is this, is this year, everything that we thought heading into it have your expectations changed Um, and what do you expect from them in the playoffs? So Kyle, uh, I'll throw it to you first with the playoffs about to begin, where are you at with this team? How do you think they're playing and just what is your feel on them as we begin the playoffs?
1: So they have not been at their best over the last couple of weeks. I want to say they finished the regular season like six and four or yeah. five and five in their final 10, something like that. So it's certainly not, oh man, they're peaking at the right time type of play, but I I don't really think these games have mattered too much. Like They've mattered for individual stakes and seeding and things like that, but I think you could clearly see there were moments where it was like, yeah, guys are... Taking their foot off the gas a little bit for the playoffs i think Mm -hmm. the one way or the one exception to that that we have to find out is was harden sort of coasting at the end of the regular season or is james actually physically compromised a little bit and is that going to impact him in the playoffs because i think that i mean we can't plan for future injuries and different things like if joel gets hurt obviously the season is, is screwed whatever but Right now, the biggest variable is James Harden, right? Like if he's normal, most of this regular season, James Harden, then I think they have a great chance to exceed some expectations, potentially beat Boston around two, potentially beat Milwaukee in a conference finals. And, you know, we can talk about what, whatever happens in the the NBA finals. Mm -hmm. Um, If he's not right, And if it turns into a situation where you just have to keep throwing Joel Embiid the ball at the elbow and kind of just pray that he can create enough for you to win a series, I think you can beat Brooklyn, but I don't think you're going to beat the better teams in the playoffs. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I do think James has been around long enough that I will give him some benefit of the doubt that he's saying, look, I'm not going to overtax myself in – late March, early April with the playoffs around the corner. But because he does have the recent uh, injury history from last year, certainly had the scare with the Achilles recently where he said it was bothering him dating back months. I am a little a little nervous that uh, this is kind of hanging over their heads going into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, so I think that's fair. Um, I think that Harden, as we've talked about in the last few pods, is the biggest question with this team right now. But I think that's actually, in a weird way, why they're in a better space than they were these past two seasons and certainly last year. Like I feel great about Joel Embiid heading into these playoffs. You said it when we first started to record these pods, and I think it's proven to be absolutely correct. He just looks ready to take this team on a run. Now, it's really hard to do as the only guy. Like He is going to need help. If Harden isn't if Harden isn't 100%, then Maxie's going to have to step up. Like, vice versa, right? He's not going to be able to beat Boston and Milwaukee completely by himself. But I think he's the closest he's ever been to looking like a guy that is capable of averaging, like, 37, 12, and 5 and just throw out a monster series where we're sitting here and going, he's the reason they won that series. But because of that, as they enter the playoffs, I do not feel they have to get out of the second round for it to be a successful year. I think that going into the season, I completely thought it was a fair expectation to put on them. But I think, as with all expectations, you have to look at it realistically and say, okay, let's look at where they're actually at now. Not where we were emotionally heading into the beginning of the year. Not where we thought the team was. Where they are at now. And when I look at this team, I see a team that is, in my opinion pretty clearly the third best team in the NBA, right? I think Milwaukee and Boston deserve to be ranked ahead of them, but I think they are better than any team in the West. I think if they were in the West, they would make the NBA finals, right? So I think part of the whole thing with wanting them to get out of the second round is feeling like they are a team that is good and that is meeting expectations. And I think they can be both of those things while not getting out of the second round. So for me, If they lose a well-fought series to Boston, of course we have to see how it plays out. But if they lose a series where it goes seven or it goes six and each game is close and you can see that the teams are evenly matched, I'm not going to be like as angry as I have in past years where they lost to a Hawks team that you mentioned they were better than. When they lost to a Miami team where I thought they were better and Joel was hurt. There is a real chance they lose a series this year and when we come on the post-game pod, I go, you know what? They were a great team, Dwell had a great year, and they lost a great series, but I'm not going to sit here and say they need to blow it up or it was a complete failure. So I am with
1: you to an extent. Like if I'm trying to be Dr. Spock from Star Trek and stay very even keel and like this is just a cold, hard assessment of this year and this team and this matchup that they're likely going to have in round two. Sure, I could see that. Like, yeah. Boston has been a better team this season. They've had their number. And for them to lose to them, it's just like, well, you run into a better team. You don't have home court. You'd have to overachieve to a certain extent to beat them. That's all well and good. The the reason I think that can't be true or that at least it isn't true is that you and I both know if they lose, I think that a lot of things are changing for this organization. I think they probably have a new head coach. I think we might be talking about James Harden leaving. I don't know that there'll be much of a debate at that point. It's, well, if we're going to lose in the second round, why don't I just go somewhere else where I can be the guy and the head honcho, and as he, I think, has been referred to in the past as the president while he was in Houston, (laughs) President Harden. He can go back to that sort of setup. And so if if organizationally they come out of a second-round loss and they're they're tearing things down and they're reimagining the team, they're trading Tobias Harris, they're doing this, they're doing that. Then, you know, I don't know that we can say truthfully, oh yeah, it's understandable or it's fine if they lose in the second round. Because if it triggers that sort of action from them, what they're saying is this isn't acceptable, that we don't think that this is an okay outcome, mm-hmm. that we think we need to do something different. Now that could be we have to judge it on several different levels, right? It's different if James says, I don't want to be here, or if Daryl Morey, Josh Harris, all them say, Doc Rivers shouldn't be here. Like there are different levels of people accepting or not accepting a second round loss. I just, I don't think anybody is going to be happy with that. And look, to the Joel Embiid point that we have already brought up a couple of times, if we think he's the best player in the world, or is at least in that conversation, and you go into a series and then just say, well, the better team won and like you go in with that mindset. Then I don't think you really believe that Joel Embiid B is the best player in the series. I know that one guy in a lot of cases is not going to be overcome, be able to overcome the best or the better team. But I like I think Joel has shown in the last couple of matchups with Boston, he can be the equalizer mm-hmm. that he is going to need the supporting cast to step up in ways that they haven't in the last two meetings against Boston, but because he's had such significant performances against them to squeak out these wins, I think you can easily look at it and say, look, if they just get normal Tyrese Maxey, if they just get pretty good James Harden and Joel plays at that level, they will beat the Boston Celtics or they can beat the Boston Celtics. So again, I'm not saying that's going to happen. As we've said here on the podcast, I think I would put it at like, 70-30 that boston is going to win maybe 60-40 depending on health and other factors and momentum coming into that series but i do think it's it'd be a little disingenuous for me to have sat on this podcast all year talk up joel say he's the mvp say he's the best player in the league and then essentially be like well there's nothing they can do it's a better team like i that's just not how i view how basketball works it was one of the reasons I was a vocal proponent of their, of the process and the dramatic rebuild is because I think one guy is so capable of swinging Mm -hmm. a series in basketball that I think they should have a puncher's chance against anybody. And so that's why I think that, you know, you head into that series and we're already looking past the net series, I guess you head into that series and you think they should
0: be considered like a a real threat to win that and to win the East. So, I think there's a there is some truth to what you said. I, I agree that the NBA probably more than any other sport. I mean, there is some components of this to football with the uh with the quarterback, but the NBA more than most sports is if you have the best guy, you should win that series. So I think there's truth to that. And I don't think it's unfair to say to Joel, you know what, you're gonna have to average 43 instead of 37, right? <laughs> like you're asking a lot of Joel. But at the same time, like this isn't saying, you know. They should win this series because they have Joel because they're playing the Grizzlies or they're playing, you know, uh, the the Nets, right? Like if they lose to the Nets, that's a catastrophic failure by Joel himself. Like that's a series where you go, you you should win that series, even if Harden and Maxi are bad, simply because of Joel. I just can't sit here and say, because I think they could beat, you know, 27 of the 29 teams that they could potentially play that because they don't beat those two it would be a failure. Now, to your point about the implications of if they lose, I think Harden's probably leaving anyway. Like we've talked about the Harden thing. It's not a basketball decision in some ways. Like he can talk himself into Houston as having young talent and he'll bring somebody with him and all those things. But it could just be Harden is saying, I am leaving regardless. And I think firing Doc is a is a big move, but I don't know if I would qualify that as like blowing things up. But I, We think we're both on the same page to an extent of how much impact a coach has. Like it's mostly the players. So for me, it comes down to if you lose, are you forcing a maxi and Toby trade or are you just kind of bringing it back and seeing? you know, like, I think the Harden decision, he's probably gone anyway. So when it comes to like what the pressure is, they're not going to trade Joel unless he has to be traded. I don't know how much firing Doc super matters, and the Harden thing's a little bit out of their control. So while the pressure, I think the pressure is mostly just on the outside on how they'll be viewed, but I think internally, I don't know how much a loss in the second round actually changes their game plan for the offseason. Passion, drive, and patience.
1: So the Harden stuff has been conflicting, but I have heard from some whispers, we'll say, from around the league that there, that people believe that it is sort of like conference finals or he's out of there. Now, I don't know. It's You hear like a thousand different things, right. but I think it's really just, if it's a second round loss and he essentially makes no difference in the trajectory of this team over the course of, you know, however many years now, then I think he looks at things and he says, all right, well, if Joel is the best that he's ever been and I have this resurgent season and we're still capped at second round and you look at, like, let's look at the immediate future. Yeah, Tobias Harris's contract will be expiring next year and that's coming up, but that's another year to deal with that. If you trade him, then you have to trade him with somebody like a maxi or like valuable guys to get off of that and turn that into just like other role players, basically. Even if you're able to pull that off without Maxi, you then have Maxi. He's going to be signed to an extension, which there's been some reporting over the last week or two that he might be expecting like a a max extension, which that puts you right into, you know, right up against the cap or over the... Actually, it puts you way over the cap, depending (laughs) on uh, how things change here. Um, So you're not getting cap relief in the future where you can say we're going to form a big three. Like we're going to lure this guy to sign here for a max contract in a couple of years or whatever it is. They're not stripping the decks and, and all that. So yeah, I just, I think I would, I'd, again, I still think if Harden went to Houston specifically, that's a loser move, but I can at least see, I can see the logic of, look, they run into Boston who Boston has had their number for however many years as a franchise. And, They're not going away. Like Boston is going to be good for the foreseeable future, assuming that Jalen Brown doesn't leave in free agency, which granted, I guess there's some smoke behind that, that he's kind of been uh, wishy-washy about whether he wants to stay there. Boston hasn't exactly made clear that they're going to commit to him. But under the assumption that they build around Brown and Tatum for the foreseeable future, those guys are much younger than James, certainly and a bit younger than Joel on top of that. So they have a path to be the number one team in the East for a while. The Bucs are still relatively in good shape to contend over the next mm-hmm. you know, three to five years. And so you might just look at it and say, we have to do something dramatic, or we're going to end up in the same spot over and over again. Like There just is not a lot of flexibility in the spot they're in. Now, to your point, I agree. There is a, a certain level of you look at it and say, we're right there. And, you know, if, with the right breaks, if we have a better regular season, yeah. we're the one seed, we're the two seed. That might be enough because we think this group of top three teams in the East is the best group of teams in the entire league. And you say, if we think these are coin flip series and they're close, like if they were to lose to Boston in a road game seven and they just say, we think we win that series with home court advantage, then fine. Yeah, I think you could certainly justify just bringing the whole gang back and running it back and you make some very small tweaks to what you're doing. Maybe next year you develop Jaden Springer a little more. That's another athlete you throw into the rotation toward the back of the rotation, make some very small adjustments around Mm -hmm. the edges and then you win. But I just, I think that's going to be a really tough sell on the fan base specifically because coming into the year and even right now, I, I just think, they don't really care that this is the best regular season since 2000-2001, right? Like, I think what's different about that season is that Sixers team with Iverson really struggled <laughs> for a few years, or at least like was not going to the playoffs his rookie right. year. They obviously still stunk. They had to readjust the roster, whatever, and it felt more like a a culmination of all right, this is five years or so. Of building up to now, Alan is finally the guy, and they go on the storybook run. Whereas this with the Sixers is like, okay, they've shuffled so many things around Joel and they've made all these changes, change management, change coaches, change the perimeter stars several times now, and it all ends in the same place. And I think people just kind of get the the Groundhog Day feel from it. And so, I think that's a pretty important thing to consider with all this for
0: sure. And look. I work at WIP. I'm well aware that if they lose, like the people that like the fans that were calling in will be upset and they will be mad. And I'll never tell a fan not to be mad. Like it yeah. will be upsetting if they lose in the second round for sure, because this has been such a special Joel year. But at the same time, I think those fans would be wrong. Like it to, to say that this is like, <laughs> like they would be like to say, you know, well, Joel will never get out of the second round. Joel's the best player in the NBA right now. Point blank period. He is the best player in the NBA right now. Like, you can't really let the baggage of past losses impact future moves. Like, to say that they should trade, I'm, I'm not saying you're saying this, but if, if fans feel that they should blow it up because they've never been out of the second round, so are we really letting the Kawhi shot impact moves you make this offseason? Are we letting Ben's poor performance and, you know, Joel to an extent in that playoff series, like, letting uh, impact future moves? Like, that's my issue with the idea of that they have to get out the second round is it feels like it's moves that are made that is that is ending like an era of a team or saying like, okay, they're not good enough. But in reality, you put it perfectly. I kind of think they are coin flip series. And if, if not, you know, a little like 60, 40 or whatever, right? Like they're right there. And I think the one move they do make if they do lose, and this is being becoming a bit of a, like a doomsday pod we're talking about only if they lose, but <laughs> the, the, the Toby trade is the one you make. Like that's the one you make where you go, okay, If Harden decides to come back, we're not going to trade Maxi. Like, Toby's our piece that you move to kind of talk the fan base into saying things are going to be different. But I think fans that would call in or, you know, tweet or or whatever and say, blow it up. This team's not good enough. They're never going to have the second round. I just think they're wrong because, like, the circumstances are setting itself up to the point where, it, it's just not the reality of that statement. It's not losing to the Hawks. It, that That's not where this team is at. They have improved. They are a great team. If you watched them all year, Joel is awesome. They are top five offense, defense, or, you know, around there. Like this isn't the, the team of failures from the past. Like, how do you think internally though, that they view that? I mean, you talked about, you know, what they could decide to fire Doc, all those things. How do you think they view the expectations for the team heading into the postseason? I'm, it's exactly what I said. Like,
1: I, I think there are going to be big changes
0: if they don't
1: make the progress that they were hoping for. Now, I don't, I think, again, it all depends. Like, there's a big difference, as we saw in 2019, between if you get swept and going to game seven and losing on a Kawhi shot, right? Like, yeah. Brett Brown during the Toronto series. There's reporting that he's going to get fired as long as they lose. And, you know, they end up, Brett makes great adjustments in that series. I think out coach Nick Nurse, who goes on to win the title and the Sixers all at uh, exit interviews, decide to stand up and be like, no, we want Brett back. Like they vocally Mm -hmm. said that Joel said that Ben said that so on and so forth. Jimmy did not necessarily say that, you know, (laughs) read between the lines on that one but he at least was like i think he's he, he's going to be here for a long time he's got the support of the team blah 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 so was at least like he was upfront about that i think that was a material change so yeah i yeah. mean as far as doc the doc part of it goes we say if he coaches well and, and he does a lot of the stuff that i think he's done all year then sure he's there's a good chance that he's back next year even if they lose but It's all a wait-and-see thing. It's hard to to do this. To your point, with all the doom and gloom, I just want to bring up, let's have a bit of positivity on the podcast. This is the most wins the Sixers have had since 2001. That's a a great accomplishment. And to do so, end of the year, where you're just playing all backups, and that that to me is like a couple of culture wins for the team. Those are just, they have nothing to play for. All their backups are in and those guys came in and they played for the team. Doc is really into it. Friday night in Atlanta is like
0: high-fiving really guys, going crazy. Now. Yeah,
1: But it's a, like, look, I, I think that means something just in the sense that like they have built something they're proud of. And these guys don't look at, hey, Joel's out, James is out, the whole starting lineup's out that's a reason for us to just lay down and get our asses kicked. Like that's something organizationally I think you can be proud of on a small level. Like it's again, the game doesn't really matter, but those are the type of things that I think doc and his staff have preached that like, we want to be that sort of team. Like we don't want to just say we're throwing in the towel on anything and we don't care about much other than we want to get results. We might play poorly this might be a bad effort on this play. This guy might shoot like shit, but we're gonna find ways to win. And like that has been the difference all season is that this group has not felt sorry for themselves. They've dealt with some adversity. They've gone on, you know, big comebacks that we talked about a lot. And they won 54 games. They won more than any team in the West and more than every team other than Boston and Milwaukee in the league. Like it's yeah. been a very good season. They're a top. I want to say here. I have it up in front of me. They finished with a top three offense and the eighth best defense in the entire league. That is the profile of a title contender. Like you got to be top 10 in both ideally top five. If you can swing it, they are right there. They're an elite offense and a, I don't think I'd say an elite defense, but they have a elite crunch time defense, which we'll see how that translates into the playoffs. They are The team with the leading scorer and the leading assist guy in the entire NBA. And it's the first time I think that's happened since, I want to say, the early 80s. Team with George Girvin in San Antonio did it. I can't remember who the other guy was, honestly. (laughs) Uh, um, But look, we could just keep going down the list. Tyrese Maxey, 20-point-a-game scorer this season. Makes a leap. Could genuinely be one of the five best shooters in the entire league right now. And his development story is awesome. You, you have a lot of smaller victories throughout this season. You know, Paul Reed victory tour. He's been a better player this year. He's a better finisher, a more reliable defender. P.J. Tucker has had some moments down the stretch here. De Anthony Melton was a good pickup. Like on and on and on and on down the list. And they look like a real playoff team. Not a team that has like six guys. And James Ennis is the sixth guy as he was in... 2019, which what an insane thing <laughs> he was like the sixth most important player on the team, and that's no disrespect to James Ennis,
0: but yeah, like, no disrespect, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, look, like oh, it, yeah. it is what it
1: is. So all I'm saying is that I'm sort of agreeing with your overall point here. Like there are lots of victories and good things to celebrate from this season. Like we shouldn't they lose in Game Seven in Boston on a buzzer beater we're not going to be looking back saying, wow, what a waste of time this year was like, this was a special Joel Embiid season where he got to a level that frankly, I would have never thought was possible for him, like scoring 33 points a game on elite efficiency, probably going to win the MVP award. Like this has been an awesome season. I think you're going to look back at least at the regular season and say, he was the defining player of this year. Like all these big moments, All this great crunch time stuff. He sends it off with this exclamation point against Boston. A 52-point performance where he's basically the only reason they won. Like, awesome season just to watch this team and watch their evolution into what I think is a more credible contender than they've been in years past. But, look, the playoffs loom large for everybody. We can say all that, and your last memory is the one that sticks for people the most, as we see with, uh, you know, the Eagles had the fucking
0: Super Bowl run. We're a great team. All that really matters is that they lost yeah. the Super Bowl. But like, so, you know, it's funny. I, I said like we're being doomsday. I actually think you could <clears throat> definitely perceive it as we're being very optimistic in saying that, look, they could lose a second round and this year is still a success. And you bring up the two lot, the two wins they had over the weekend where nobody played. I know it is a small thing, but I actually think if you wanted to dive into it, it is a, a big deal in the way that, this team is in a really good place. They are in a much better place than they have been in a really long time, just in terms of how the franchise is running, who's running it, how the player, like all those things are, they've, they've been so much better than they have in past years. And on the flip side of that, and I'll, I'll contradict myself. You are right. Like playoffs are where legacies are made. There's a reason I think Mike Trout's extremely overrated because he's never done it in the playoffs, <laughs> Right? Like, so ultimately, well, I can sit here and say, Joel's awesome. They had a great year. I mean, they'd have to be pretty bad in the playoffs for me to change my mind. But you all, you are also right that like sooner or later, you just have to get out of the second round. It just, for me, it's extremely frustrating to think that the reason they could get, they could not get out is, is because they're going to run into two two of the best teams that are essentially coin flip series. Like if if they lose in the second round, that's what it'll go down as, but it won't feel like a second round loss to me. It'll feel like they lost to one of the best teams in the league when they played them, which is frustrating on when it happened, but that is a, but, but it's, it doesn't carry the same emotional disappointment, I guess, as it wouldn't past years when it felt they lost to a better team. So, but of course to get there, They have to play in the first round, so maybe it's probably (laughs) it's probably time we bring up. I don't think we've said their name outside of just casually, but the Brooklyn Nets are going to be their first round uh, opponent. Um, You know, watching that Heat game, and I know Doc Rivers called it like exercise after, so I I recognize they weren't trying their best. But man, I I, they would have beaten the Heat for sure. But I think they're just they're so lucky they got the Nets instead of the Heat. I think it's going to be such an easier series. I think the Heat would have been grinded out tough games at very least. Um, So just overall, I guess, what are your initial thoughts on the Nets? And if you have a a preference of opponent take as well, be interested in that.
1: No, yeah. I mean, this was definitely the preferable matchup to Miami, just in terms of the Jimmy Butler factor. Playoff Jimmy is genuinely a thing. We'll see how that uh, plays out assuming they make the playoffs, by the way, they do have to win their play-in game or <laughs> potentially multiple games that they lose the second one, but I'm not expecting them to lose two straight uh, against, no. who is it that they're playing? Atlanta, and then we'll, I guess we'll see from Toronto and
0: I uh, forget who the...
1: I have to look, look at the standings here the I last spent so minutes. much
0: time this past weekend looking at like the West because it was so crazy that I almost just completely overlooked what was happening with the play-in tournament with the uh, yeah. East.
1: Yeah, so, look, I think if you look at Brooklyn, they're sort of a basketball hipster's dream. It's like, oh, my God, they have so many guys. And it's like, yeah, but they don't have a guy or the guy. And I I think where you look if you're trying to be an optimist for the Nets is, oh, my God, look at Mikael Bridges' numbers. And they're awesome. Like He's scored, I want to say, 27 points a game since joining Brooklyn on good efficiency, and that's all well and good. At the same time, he's not creating for basically anybody else and they have a bottom 10 offense in the league during that time period. So that suggests to me, it's like, yeah, he can get his if you make him the guy. But if you were to just say, look, we'll let him do that and we're not going to give space to any shooters, we'll play up on everybody else and we'll say, hey, Mikhail, you can score... 30, 35 points, but you're not going to do anything for anybody else. Mm -hmm. I think that's an outcome that you live with because I think the offense will not be good enough elsewhere for them to do anything. I I just think that that is probably the most straightforward path to success against them. They just don't have enough guys, or they don't have the guy that you hand the ball to as a creator. And it's like, not only is he going to get his, but he's going to make sure everybody else gets involved too. You're not doubling any of these guys. You're not really worried about, switching most of these matchups that they they win some of them that are favorable that's fine and then the other side of the ball like they just don't have a prayer to defend joel right like i i think they can do some things to junk up the game i wrote about this this morning where if you put him in the middle of the floor and shrink the floor and he tries to drive against claxton guys like bridges and finney smith and cam johnson they can dig down and They all got these long arms that they'll they'll bat at balls and whatever, and i will have some turnovers there. But anybody who's defending him individually is just giving up so much size and weight, and he's going to put guys in foul trouble. He's going to beat guys up, just like lean into them and move them back over and over again. Honestly, I would worry more that he might foul himself out or pick up foul trouble because he's playing so physical and they might just get calls from being – the smaller players on the floor so that we'll see how that plays out
0: i think he has like 60 pounds on all their players that actually play like klaxon is only 215 like i think he's he's like to your point considerably heavier and stronger than every other big man they have
1: yeah and like they're on sharp absolutely stinks like even nets (laughs) fans are like please don't play this fucking guy so when you go into a series and they're so few answers for the guy who's already the best player in the series. It's just like, yeah, your win conditions. If you're Brooklyn are, are really tough to get to. So I, I just, I think it's that simple. Honestly, they have the best player and Brooklyn's best options on offense. None of them scare me in a way that like is going to do anything to change my mind, which is to say, I think this is a series they should win in four or five games. We'll give Brooklyn one of those just to say they win one at home or maybe they steal the 1 p.m. opening game of the series. But otherwise, the Sixers
0: are the better, more talented team and they should win. So I'll do a a crossover. uh, And we will actually have some crossovers this week. We're going to try to do some stuff with some Nets pods, different Nets writers, so learn more about how trash the Nets are. But I do think (laughs) – like a. A crossover for me that fits perfectly in this is when the New York Giants came to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Like you can talk yourself into the, well, they've had a better year than you think and they're up and coming and blah, blah, blah. The end of the day, the Sixers are just, Far more talented than the Nets, like point blank. Period. Now, you, now, if you were going to say to me, what's a world where they lose the series? First of all, probably involves knock on wood, Joel Embiid, like being un- unallowed to play in six of them. I think even without Joel, they probably would still win the series or at least be extremely competitive. The only concern I would have with the Nets is they are kind of a too young to know what they don't know team. So I don't think they come in with the baggage the Sixers have. They do have good shooters. Like, I, they, you, they would have to get pretty hot in order to beat the Sixers. But when you look, like, Cameron Johnson can shoot. Mikel Bridges can shoot. Uh, you know, obviously, Curry can shoot. Joe Harris can shoot. I mean, they have a lot of guys. I mean, even I wrote this down. I did some some research coming into the pod. From, oh, wow. Like, research? I know. I, I know. Well, now that we're talking about specific players, they have to be ready. But Royce O'Neal, 38% on five and a half threes. Like, they have guys that can shoot threes. That would be the only concern I would have. And they are young and athletic, whereas the Sixers are just not that. So there are some components that you worry about, but ultimately they have nowhere close to the guy. To your point, Mikel Bridges, I think, This is a harsh comparison, but it's a little like Michael Carter-Williams where he's putting up great numbers.
1: Oh, come on. like
0: he's better. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. He's better. But the point I'm making is the Nets aren't like playing great. I mean, I think, you know, they maybe have won four of six coming in, but it's not like they're playing 700 ball since they got Mikel Bridges. Like they have had their fair share of, of poor basketball. So ultimately I look at them and I go, they're athletic and young. Maybe that's a worry. They can shoot. But if these games are close, if they find a way to make it close, I just don't think Mikel Bridges has it in him for four minutes to carry the offense. Whereas the Sixers have Embiid could do it for sure. Harden, if he's himself could do it. And I think you could argue Maxi is maybe just as capable of carrying an offense as Mikel Bridges is. If you look at some of the hot streaks, he's been able to go on. So I think the Sixers have two guys that are way better than anybody else on the nets. And then there's Maxi, So I I just think they're far, far more talented, and that's what will win the series for him.
1: So Maxi's the interesting one in that I think this is the sort of team that he might struggle against. He did not have a – they only played essentially one time with these versions of their teams, and yeah, he was well, not very now, good yeah. in that game. He was like four for 11, scored 12 points. And look, that's just one game. It would be easier to say they have four games against this exact opponent And we could say, yeah, he struggles against these guys like with the Mm. Boston matchup. Um, But I do think if you look at their profile and you say, look, they have a lot of long, switchable athletes that those type of guys pose problems for him because he'll just pull out his dribble and turn his back and reset the offense. And I think if you put him in all these ball screens and just switch all of them, he's going to struggle to get by a lot of these guys. And so then it becomes... Can you make shots over the top against defenders who are going to be like up in your face with these six seven six eight six nine 6'8, 6'9 wingspans? Yep. I think it's going to be tough for him. And then the other side of the ball, Maxi ends up on somebody like Mikhail Bridges on a switch. Like, that's not good for them. That's obviously a situation that I think Brooklyn feels they can punish. End of the day, though, I do think there are enough guys in that Brooklyn rotation, depending on how Jacques Vaughn decides to sub it. Seth Curry and Joe Harris and guys like that. Those are guys that Maxi can pick on and certainly that Harden can pick on. And so I think the interesting dilemma for Brooklyn is, you know, how do you juice up the offense a bit and get all these shooters on the floor without totally compromising your defense? And mm-hmm. I don't know that they're able to. And I think that's one of the things with, obviously, Ben isn't playing in, these, in this series because he's out for the season. Uh, but Nick Claxton having him having him as your center where he's your defensive linchpin can switch everything can defend Joel at least a little bit he's a non-shooter and so that already puts a non-shooter on the floor if you have another one then that is like all right we've seen that yeah. with the sixers we saw that with Ben and you know Dwight Howard or Ben and name basically any other backup center that they've played that's a really tough thing to work around for against the playoff level defense so know we'll see I I I will I'm interested to see how Tyrese does just because I think it'll be a harbinger of you know how he looks against Boston
0: yeah so you know you brought up Ben and we'll get into more of maybe like the X's and O's matchup as the game one gets closer but also like I said we are going to be doing some Nets crossovers so we'll we'll get some uh some stuff from them too but do you think Ben will even come? Like, well, you think Ben will be in the building and like on the bench? Has he been on the bench for games since? So I
1: jokingly here? in my article this morning said um one of the big questions is what does Ben Simmons wear on the bench? So, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I would assume he does. I That'd be kind of a, a weird...
0: A not weird to. look to yeah. not
1: show for the playoffs of all things. But. It
0: is crazy to think, and you you brought this up, but if you would have said before they're playing the Nets, we, this would be one of the most anticipated playoff series in recent six. Oh, the yeah. NBA and would have been losing
1: their goddamn mind. I know,
0: I know, but now now with no Ben, it definitely loses. Uh, it's less no, no KD,
1: no Kyrie, and it's just yeah. like, eh.
0: I mean, all right. Well, I guess a, a question I would have then would be one one common criticism we've had of the team is they And they haven't really done it as much recently, but there was a stretch of six weeks where it felt like a problem where they just come out flat and they come out like not ready to go, and the effort's poor. Do you like, do you think there that's a risk? I know Saturday at one o'clock has, upset written all over it now i think they're minus 1000 to win the series i haven't seen a game one line um i guess that might be a little closer but just mentally i mean do you think you've seen maturity from this team and their ability to say all right let's just take care of business and get this over with or do you think the nets in a way poke at one of the sixers flaws which is they sometimes take their competition maybe a little too uh too easily
1: yeah i mean they'll They'll definitely get some runs in as a result of that tendency. And I do think the 1 p.m. playoff opener is uh, – it's always ripe for the the underdog to come in and just yep. surprise some people. Um, I don't, don't think that win maybe,
0: game one? Or am I wrong about that? I feel like they want well, like it.
1: Every single year during the DeRozan-Lowry era in Toronto, they lost game one in the first round. It was like (laughs) clockwork, and then they would win the series anyway. So uh, there are some teams that just game one, they come out flat, and uh, they need to be punched in the mouth once to be like, all right, we got to get our asses in gear here. So Mm. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater if they lose game one. I don't think they should. Again, I think this is a series that they should be able to win in five games or less. I I mean, if you told me they swept Brooklyn, I would not be surprised. But knowing their tendencies and saying everything I have about habits and not being able to shake who you are after a long regular season, I do think there's some sneaky potential for Brooklyn to get one in early. And then, you know, you win one on your home floor. Not that Brooklyn has like a great home court advantage or anything, but no, they could make it a, a tough six game series, I think.
0: Well, the you know like the the visual of Joel having a mask on against Miami is making me think like get this thing wrapped up early and get Joel on the bench. And in these games if you are if you are a big get him off the court because as much as we can, you know, d- say don't take the nets for grant, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. The main priority of this series is just to get, get it over as soon as possible, get out healthy and get rested for the second round. Right? Like if, if this thing goes six or seven, I mean, God forbid seven, but if this thing goes six and you're exposing Joel to more injury, you're putting more minutes on his body, like all these guys, hardened too, two, right. With the, the leg injuries he's dealt with, you just have to get this thing over with quickly. I don't think this is about like, you want to play great because you're going into a tough series and you want to be getting good reps in together as a team. But ultimately, this is about get out, get healthy, and just get ready for the second round. It would be a real shame if this ended up being hard minutes on Joel and Harden's body heading into the second round.
1: Yeah. I And look, that's how it should work yeah. out. This is a mediocre team. I don't, that's just... That's just it the is, fact, it is. Like, and they're not—they might not even
0: be mediocre. Honestly, they might be like below, below mediocre. They're a young team that has no track record of winning with no star. That is just a bunch of role players. Like they're
1: right. It if you a star to this team who could be the guy, then okay, great. And you didn't take anything else away, but they just—that's right. not the situation they're in. Since yeah. the since Mikael Bridges and these guys joined the lineup, there's something like the twenty-third best offense. And the 17th best defense. Now, worth noting during that time period, the Sixers are like 16th on defense, right? But also have a top three offense and have the best scorer in the NBA and James Harden and, you know, so on and so forth. So, nothing about their profile says this is a team. It's not like in college basketball where you head into the tournament and it's like the seating's funky, but Oh, Ken Palm says this team is actually like the 10th best team in the country. And then that team goes on a run. Like none of the underlying stuff says, oh man, the Nets are a sleeping giant. The underlying stuff tracks with what we think. They're a middle of the road, Eastern Conference team with no like clear cut A plus playoff level star. And that is this sort of team
0: the Sixers should be able to dispatch relatively easily. Well, and that's why to kind of put a bow on this before we get an MVP, like had they gotten the heat, I think they would have won the series, but there would have been the underlying stuff, stuff of like veteran team has won in the playoffs, has a guy you worry about, has given this team trouble. Like there are things that you could point to that are beyond... The Heat have been bad at basketball this year, right? Like the Heat are are bad at a lot of things, but there's a lot of those components. The reason they're the perfect team is because they're inexperienced, they're young, they don't have the guy. Like they also don't, to your point, have those things where even just from a narrative perspective, you can talk yourself into it, right? Like if you're not a hardcore basketball guy and, and you're just simply looking at it, you go, oh, yeah, they're in a completely unproven team that has nothing. Whereas with the Heat, you would go, well, they've played good, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think that is, one advantage for them as well is the Nets just don't have anything that should really give the Sixers problems uh, off the court from a narrative perspective as well. So as I mentioned, we are going to have Nets people on, we're going to do pods on those. Anything else you want to say about the season or the uh, series before we move to MVP? No, nah, we can
1: you good? talk we, about Joel probably winning the MVP. Finally. Yeah, we,
0: we've successfully made it. So when they lose to the Nets, we'll look like complete fools for, for watching <laughs> aside for 10 minutes. Um, All right, so Joel Embiid, I mean, he's like minus 2,000 right now to win MVP. The votes start to come in. You see a lot of the big hitters are voting for him. I mean, you see like guys on TV like uh, Kendrick Perkins, uh, Jalen Rose have not voted for him. But a lot of the kind of, and those guys certainly have influence, but a lot of the big time NBA writers have come out and it seems like they're starting to vote. For Embiid, I believe Bill Simmons said he was going to vote for MVP.
1: Uh, Bill MVP. Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, which that right. was a, uh, I don't think people were expecting that. Maybe so, one of the two,
0: but not both. So, I mean, it. I think it's over. Like, I think the the bigger question is, like, could Jokic finish third instead of second? I think Embiid is going to win it. But what's your thoughts on it? I mean, does it seem like a done deal for you uh, heading into when? When we will we find out? Probably in a week, two weeks, something like that? I actually don't know when they
1: announce it now because for a while they were holding it back for uh the NBA I awards think it's or whatever. And I think yeah,
0: it gets but, leaked. Like I agree yeah. with you. I don't think they announce it until the awards, but I do think it, it gets leaked. Online. I think
1: we'll probably know fairly soon. Um yeah. but it, it's all it looks like it's all lined up for Joel to win. I had oh James, our producer, just producer said it's James. announced on May 9th.
0: I can't go another 30 days without knowing. There's no way. Like we that would be
1: that's second round. So they could be in the right. process of getting their asses kicked by Boston. Or the
0: process of having the best performance he's ever had and he gets the MVP. It could be it could be one or the other. But uh yes. so you think he's gonna win it then? Like bottom line.
1: I do. Like there was a moment last week where I I doubted and was like, you know, I still don't think there's enough momentum behind him. Like the the 52 point game is probably the moment and I think it's it is silly to be like it all came down to one game but these guys were so close at the end of the year yeah. that it was just begging for somebody to have a signature moment and as stupid as it is like he scored 52 on national tv and beat their biggest rival like yeah if you're if you're trying to separate him from Jokic who didn't play all of last week or from Giannis who played fewer games and didn't score as much and all that that was it like you could make the case without that i think the season was defined by joel in a lot of ways that i, I said earlier but yeah I, I think that was one that was it really pushed him over the top and anybody was that was kind of a fence sitter said look that's enough for me this is this is the final cherry on top of the case he obviously has an ironclad case even without it but this is good enough for me. And it feels like, and the the argument I've seen more, and I agree with this. There've been people who have pushed back on this, but I've said as much on the podcast, the argument I've seen more over the last week or so is people saying, look, it wouldn't feel right for the last five years to have three Jokic MVPs, two Giannis MVPs and none for Joel. Like it, it just doesn't feel like a fair accounting of the last half decade of basketball. And I think if you were to just try to be objective about it and say, I think that one for Joel, two for Jokic, two for Giannis feels about right. Like you might be able to give Joel the argument in one of those Jokic years and say it goes the other way, but I don't think any of those guys have been dominant enough that they should have a clear giant lead over the other guys in MVP awards. And I think Joel has been, right in that best player of the regular season type of category that he deserves this, has earned this. And I think that 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 has become a compelling argument to all these people that are voting on the award. They say, look, I don't really know if there's a quote-unquote right answer. So maybe the right answer is just give it to the guy who's been close and has deserved it but has gotten beaten out by another deserving candidate. I think that's totally fair.
0: Yeah. So you, you made this point to me before and I agreed with it, but it really kind of set in for me this past weekend. So I was having a debate uh, with my friends on if Joel could become the best athlete to ever play in Philadelphia, like regardless of sport. Right. And clearly a ways to go, but just one of those, you know, fun debates coming off the 52 point game. And as part of having that, I was looking on, you know, pro football reference, pro basketball reference and Wikipedia pages And when you pull up Wikipedia pages for guys that I just didn't watch, like it is when you just look at what they've won quickly, it does make you realize how much these things matter, right? Because we can sit here right now and parse the difference between Jokic, Giannis and Embiid and say, this is his strength. This is his weakness. He did that in this game. This was their head to head. But in 20 years, there will be people that are debating some, young guy that I'll probably be saying, no, you you never watched Joel, but they'll just pull up Joel's Wikipedia page and go, well, you only won one MVP and never got out the second round. So I do think that while we can in the moment debate how much these things matter, it really does matter for his resume and his legacy that he gets one of these, like he's just deserving of one of them. And I think in 20 years, the the kids that look back there, you know, that at that point, look back on his career it did they it deserves to have an MVP on his on his resume on his pro football basketball uh on his pro basketball page, on his Wikipedia page. Like it's just fair. It's fair that he gets it. He's earned it. Um, I'm happy for him, you know. Like I was thinking debating also this with some other people. If you think about Philly sports recently, there's been a lot of stars that have come and gone. Like Carson in and out, right? Bryce has come uh into the city, but there's not really any drama with him yet. Joel, for being in such a major sports market, has lived through so much as the main guy, like coming in and being hurt and then being awesome and then riding through the process and then almost winning MVP and then not and then like all this baggage. So I think for a city that loves sports so much, it's been hard to have one person to like really attach to, right? Maybe Jalen Hurts will end up being that. But I think right now, the moment of Joel winning MVP is something everybody should be very happy for him for. He's been through a lot. He's been through some really fair criticism, some unfair criticism. He's carried the weight of a major market on his shoulders for a long time, and he deserves it. So, you know, we we obviously talked about this a ton on the pod, but as the moment comes closer and closer, I do think like the city should be extremely happy for him. And I really hope people don't do the thing well. We'll get out the second round before it matters. Like, no, this is an awesome moment that he's really deserved to fully enjoy without any, you know, naysayers trying to ruin it for him.
1: Well, and you didn't even bring up the personal stuff too. Like he lost his younger brother while he was experiencing all those lows with injuries. And he's just like sitting in a high rise in Philadelphia doing nothing depressed because he lost his he lost his younger brother and he looks like he's saying to himself, like I came here to America to like chase this dream. And I'm just sitting here injured and can't do anything as I'm losing family members. And he goes through, like I said, has been on the record. Like he thought about just like quitting basketball. And so to go from it's just an amazing story. This guy is plucked out of Cameroon comes to the States has basically never played organized basketball. And he goes from a guy who, if you look at some of the low light reels in high school where he like dribbles past <laughs> yes. the backboard and then throws it back and all that. And he's to, like 150
0: pounds lighter.
1: <laughs> yeah, to to this dude who is the first center since Bob McAdoo in the mid seventies to lead the NBA in scoring in consecutive seasons to potentially win an MVP award. To It's just like, All this stuff is so crazy if you just think about it from a big-picture perspective. And so, look, I know we're all going to – if they lose in the second round, none of this is going to be on the minds of people in Philadelphia. But I do think it's like for Joel specifically, it's been such a long road with so much work, so much criticism. I mean, there were moments in the 2019-20 season that – a lot of people were like, get this guy out of here, trade him, wanted to keep Ben over him. Me
0: included, not the Ben.
1: Let, let, the, <laughs> let the record yeah. show that I was never in that yeah. contingent, despite the fact that he did not have his best year that year, and that Ben played very well without Horford. I never wavered on Joel's the best player, and you yeah. don't trade the best player. So look, he's gone through all that, including within the city, and I think he's the only guy... On this team and within this franchise, it seems to have like the unwavering trust from the fan base. Like they know they're going to get what he has to offer. If he has a broken, if he has a broken face, if he has a torn meniscus that this guy's played through so much, like he was not his best in that Hawk series, right? That they lost. Like he was culpable in a lot of respects for that loss with a tear in his meniscus the guy averaged 30 points a game and Mm -hmm. like is still in game seven despite his issues scored more points in the second half of that game than ben simmons scored in the final two or three games of the series total like (laughs) he gives you everything he has and he says everything that's on his mind and he's honest in ways that many athletes and many people for that matter just aren't and so I, I will be happy to see him get his moment in the sun. And then I look, I hope that he can give everybody the sort of playoff run that we're going to remember. Like, that'd be a cool thing as a media member to experience as, for the fans to see. Like, mm-hmm. I remember everything about that Allen Iverson 2001 run because that was a big part of me getting into basketball in the first place. It was just such a cool thing. That the team that's on all the time as I'm growing up ends up going on this like, wow, they're up against Kobe and Shaq in the finals and the yeah. whole world is watching them right now. Like that stuff is very cool. And so my hope is that Joel can create
0: that sort of memory for, you know, a bunch of kids who are just starting to follow the game right now. So real quick. And then I have one more MP question for you. I do. The one thing I hate about the NBA award ceremony is like the, the memory I have of Iverson holding up that MVP trophy in front of the crowd and everybody going crazy. Like all MVPs deserve that moment. Joel deserves that moment too. You know, the fact that he's going to get his, his, uh, award, if I'm not mistaken, at an award ceremony on some like some theater in LA, I think he deserves an MVP moment, uh, in front of the fans and 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 i hope he gets that but to what you were saying about joel like he's had a great career like objectively he has had a great career prior to this year but do you agree that this is a year he became an all-time philadelphia athlete because even though he's been great i think this is the year where you mentioned he has unwavering support of the fans going into these playoffs right I don't think it's been anywhere close to that in previous years. And I, you know, I think you can even debate now if that's the case. But I do feel like things change this year from him being a great player to being somebody that the city fully, as close as it'll get to, being behind and being a guy that is on those lists of top 10 all time Philly athlete, top three all time sixer. Do you think this year was that change? Or is maybe that just my personal opinion?
1: I still think there's. I would say the older generation is probably more resistant to trusting him because, look, when you're younger, you just blindly – and I I include myself in this. You just kind of blindly support whoever the guy is for whatever their flaws are, and I do think there's more of a level of prove it from people who have been around the block and are like, look, yeah, this guy's been great, but I've seen – Barkley and Iverson and whoever, and those like guys Dr. were. Ray, That's kind of Hall- it. Though. <laughs> yeah. But I was bringing up like the guys who didn't win. Like they've seen these yeah. Hall of Famers who had these great careers, either won or were close to winning MVP awards, but then, you know, they fall short. And, you know, we have to figure out what their legacy is at the end of the road without a championship. So I do think that he is certainly moving up higher in the in the ranks and within the Philadelphia fan base. But yeah, I mean, there's still that undercurrent of show me something when it matters. Show me that this is you you are playoff resistant, that your game is going Mm -hmm. to travel, so to speak. So there's still that final hurdle to clear, but as far as regular season excellence, he has done everything that he can possibly do.
0: Yeah, I agree. But as you mentioned, the moment to clear the time we've been waiting for the thing that, legacies will be defined at is here because the playoffs are here now so there will be as i mentioned plenty of content uh really ramping it up now that the playoffs are here we'll do some crossover pods with the nets guys but also we'll certainly have one more before the series begins just where me and you can make our final predictions and break it, break it down a little bit more so uh man it's been a fun regular season it's been better than anybody could have thought but i'm super pumped the playoffs are here and uh kyle i'll talk to you next time on a uh, a playoff preview pod. Cannot wait for some real basketball, everybody. Amen. All right, talk to you guys next time.